This is a day. That's great. Thank you. Leave, leave that one there. Thank you. Um, welcome. Welcome to all of you. Welcome to all of our visitors. We've got a couple people left over from yesterday and the camp weekend. Uh, and we have some other visitors. And thank you for all of you who are uh, attending with us online as well. I uh, really appreciate all of you being here. We are going to be talking about 1 Thessalonians in this scriptural formation journey. Uh, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, but I think I'm just going to focus more on 1 Thessalonians. It's only been a couple of weeks, or not quite, since we got back from Athens, uh, us, my wife and I, and the Hollies. Uh, and we're going to share more with you about that trip probably in a Bible class maybe next month in June. But uh, I'll share one thing. I've got this picture. We were in Athens. We were at the marketplace, and there was a small museum at the marketplace where Paul was when he was sharing. And we saw these two pots uh, at the marketplace. I'm going to tell you about it. So this is where Paul gathered and then he started to share some stuff before they said, hey, come on up to Mars Hill and tell us more. Uh, these two pots would be in tandem like this. The, what you can't see in the picture, it was there in real life, is that there's a small hole in the bottom of that top pot. They would fill the top one with water and there would be a lot of people who wanted to share their thoughts in the marketplace. And so they would, because of that, they would time them. They would fill that top pot full of water, and when it emptied and that bottom pot caught it all, your time is done, and you had to kind of sit down and let somebody else share. I shared this picture with Patrick when I was still in Athens, and his point was, uh, I'm glad we don't have that at Woodbury, and I said, not yet anyway, but um, they timed it. We talked to a Greek guy that was there, actually, and, and they timed it, and they said it would take about six minutes for this water to come out of the top one and into the other one. And then they did some studies later, I read this, where they said um, they found out that a person's, most people's have the attention span of about six minutes. And I was real convicted by that thought, and so I, I decided right then that all of my sermons from now on are going to be six minutes long. <laughs> and I've prepared five sermons for you this morning. <laughs> um, we had a good time. One of the things, as you're reading through the New Testament, we, one of the things, we did go to Corinth one day because it was only about an hour away, and we were in the middle of the churches, all of us, all of you, reading First and Second Corinthians together, and we happened to be in Corinth at the time, standing where Paul stood. There's some real, um, you just get a different feeling of the, um, how you can trust Scripture and the truth of Scripture when we did that, so we enjoyed it. First and Second Thessalonians, Paul wrote, you get a better picture in Acts 16. Paul is on his second missionary journey. And in Acts 16, he's, he's trying to decide, do I go south to Ephesus? Do I go north to Bithynia? And then that's when he got the call from the man from Macedonia saying, hey, come over here. And so he decided, okay, that's what we're going to do. We're going to go over to Macedonia, uh, Philippi, then Thessalonica, uh, then Berea, and and the Spirit basically led him there, and this was his first time in Europe and, and first time for him to share. Silas was his main partner. We learned about that in Acts 15. Remember, Paul and Barnabas had a split up, and Silas went with Paul. Timothy joined them. We read about that in Acts 16, 1 through 3. Luke joined later, so probably when they were in Troas and Paul got the vision to go to Macedonia, I think that's when Luke joined the group, halfway through that second missionary journey. And you read about that in, in verse 11 and, and through the rest of Acts where it, Luke says we as he's writing it then you know he's a part of that trip in that locale um, but the Holy Spirit was the one that led him there and then in Acts chapter 17 it talks about their stay 
in Thessalonica. So I would encourage you to read that as well. Thessalonica was, is an important port, still is. It was very important back then. This is a picture actually from the Hollies. When we were there, Tina and I stayed in Athens while Dale and Vicky traveled to Thessalonica, Thessaloniki, uh, as they say it now. And, and they got to visit some more missionaries there and work with them. Uh, and we stayed behind in Athens. This is, you know, the city. Everything's on a hill. The next picture shows you that. The coast and the water is still down there. We walked up and down hills all through Athens, and they did through Thessaloniki as well. Next picture, Alexander the Great. So Macedonia, where Thessaloniki is, is the home of Alexander the Great. So when he went and kind of took over the world and cried because there was no more world left to conquer, uh, this was his original kingdom, Macedonia and, and Thessaloniki. And so they've got this big statue of him there and it says it in in Greek on the side of the statue if you if you blew it up big enough I can't help but think that when Paul gets there he knows all of that history because it had just happened you know in the hundred years or so before he gets there he has all this history he knows that he knows how the message of Alexander the Great spread across the known world and I think he's probably thinking hey this message of the gospel this is my first time to Europe I'm hoping the gospel spreads all across the known world. And a part of that is what the, this road they call the Ignatian Way. So it travels from east to west uh, along the Roman Kingdom, Roman Empire, uh, Greece, Macedonia especially. So uh, this red, it represents the road and it goes through Thessalonica, it goes through uh, Philippi. If you keep going east, it, it, you cross the little river and you're in Istanbul, Constantinople back then, present day Istanbul, and you cross that river and you've got access to all of Asia. If you go west, then as far as you can see on the map, then there's this little inlet of ocean you cross, and then you're in Italy, and you can go straight to Rome. So there was a main thoroughfare, main highway that they paved that a lot of traffic was on. Anytime you wanted to go east to west, you were along this road, took you right through Thessalonica. So Thessalonica was important for that reason as well. But again, I think Paul's vision was, I can keep traveling west in, in places I have not been, just like I have not been here. Now, persecution would hinder him in some ways, and one year before this, when Paul was in Thessalonica, Claudius, emperor of Rome, had kicked all the Jews, uh, and Christians rather, all, all, the, all the Jews, Christians, all of them out of Rome. So that was a part of the time in which he lived. But it was a successful ministry in Thessalonica, uh, so maybe it was one of Paul's favorites, First Thessalonians chapter 3. Verse 6 and 7 says, But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. Um, Timothy, so Paul travels, he leaves Thessalonica, has to, goes to Berea, leaves there, goes down to Athens. Then he leaves there, goes to Corinth, and he spent a couple of years in Corinth. So he probably wrote 1 Thessalonians while he was in Corinth. They sent the letter. He still hadn't heard. He's, he sends Timothy to find out, comes back, and then he probably writes 2 Thessalonians while he was in Corinth as well during those two years. About AD 50, this was probably the earliest letter that Paul wrote. But because of the success, success because of the love, that they had for one another, Paul with this church in Thessalonica, I think it may have been one of his favorites. It's kind of like your kids. You, all, you have a favorite child, right? I mean, you, yeah, you don't want to admit it, but 
you know you do. So, uh, no, I, and I do too. So, I, I, so, so none of my kids are here, so I can say this. But, you know, Abby in the middle of the picture is my favorite uh, because of her discipline and creativity. Luke at the bottom of the picture is my favorite because of his love of sports. Zeke is my favorite because of his compassion toward other people, his heart for others. And Phoebe's my favorite because of her intelligence and her artistic talent that I have none of, of either of those things. But, um, yeah, so, uh, but these, so no, I don't have a favorite child, but I have favorite things about all of them. I, I think that's how Paul felt about this church. But as you, if, if, if it wasn't one of his favorite churches, then the circumstances really made him give a lot of attention to that church. So sometimes you don't have a favorite child, but you are spending more of your attention toward one child or the other because of the circumstances. And that's how this was. The fact that if you read in Acts 17, he was, um, well, um, 1 Thessalonians 2.17 says this, but brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. This is the new NIV. The original NIV said we were torn away from you. Here it says we were orphaned. So there's this such a close relationship that they wanted to be together. They loved each other. They were torn away from one another. And, and Paul uses this kind of language to show that. I think you see that in, in if you read in Acts 17, the reason he was torn away is because they went to the Jewish synagogue like normal. They converted some of the Jews to Christianity, to Jesus. And then they went and started talking to the Greeks. Well, I think the Greeks were kind of like, well, those Jews, yeah, we tolerate them. But now Paul is sharing with the Greeks, and now they're believing it. And now they're following Jesus. And that got him in trouble. And Paul and Silas in Acts 17 says they had to flee in the middle of the night and get out of there. I want to show you a picture of a man I met in Athens. This is Asin, um, and he is Pakistani. He has been in Athens for seven years, or in Greece for seven years. This is one of the men that our missionaries, Phil and Rebecca Jackson, have been ministering to, working with, encouraging. I talked to him a little bit. One of the things about him is that he was, a, he was raised in a Christian family in Pakistan, um, and but he, he said, I grew up, I wanted to play cricket. I wanted to be, you know, baseball star, cricket star. Uh, my dad kind of wanted me to preach the gospel, but I didn't want to. But then I went to college, and my college professor said I had the mark of service. And he said, I just started praying about these things, putting these things together. And then he became a preacher in Pakistan. Well, he talked to Christians. Well, but then he started converting some Muslims. And what that did was get him in trouble. And his dad said, you've got to leave going to leave the country. So much like Paul and Silas had to leave Thessalonica back then, Asin is living that today. And, and I will tell you also that not only is his family still in Pakistan, he had a fiance and they haven't seen each other in this seven years either. Uh, so his whole life has been turned upside down because of his faithfulness to God. And that's kind of what Paul was going through when he writes this letter back to the Thessalonians. Uh, like I said, this is probably Paul's first letter that he ever wrote in 50 AD, uh, only 15 years after his conversion to Christianity, middle of the second missionary journey. Because of that, I think Thessalonians is important for these two reasons. Number one, you really see that relationship, that love between him and the Thessalonians of the church and between them and him. They loved him just as much too. The other thing you see is that 
He's just giving us basic, foundational, super important biblical truths. And that's what he's sharing with them. And so that's what I'm going to talk about this morning. I'm going to talk about these truths, these foundational truths that are supremely important to us as well. And then that love relationship that they had. And I'm going to focus on those things. So in some ways, it's back to the basics. Um, so, yeah, I talked about that. Uh, thank you. Uh, I'm getting ahead of myself. But next picture, next slide. Some of you will know who this is. Uh, there you go. Good job. Um, so it's a black and white photo. It's, it's older. But Lee Iacocca, he, was, uh, he became the number two man in Ford, head of Ford besides Henry Ford II. Then later, he got fired from there, and he became the top guy in Chrysler. Uh, I was reading a... New York Times article about him that came out in 2019, right after he passed away. He was almost 95 years old. It says this, but he outmaneuvered rivals for the executive suite and was named president of Ford in 1970, the number two post, reporting only to Chairman Henry Ford II. In the next eight years, as gasoline prices and foreign competition rose, Mr. Iacocca cut costs, streamlined operations, turned unprofitable divisions around. He nurtured managers who challenged conventional wisdom and solicited ideas from dealers and unions. He ended up getting fired. Several months later, Mr. Iacocca joined Chrysler. Chrysler was debt-ridden, losing millions, had virtually no credit. He closed plants, cut the workforce in half, won large union concessions, sold assets to raise cash, and it was not enough. Many factors accounted for the turnaround of Chrysler, but among the most important were the success of this next car, the K car. So you may not remember this. In the first picture, you saw the Chrysler minivan. They were the first ones to do that. They made millions doing that. This car is what Lee A. Iacocca decided would help turn Chrysler around, and it did. It's just a simple, no-frills, fuel-efficient. He just went after low-cost and fuel efficiency, which is what people needed the most and he built those cars. I happened to, side story, I happened to own one of these. We moved to Minnesota. We bought one really cheap. It was almost 20 years old. Um, and, and we bought it. We drove it for several years. One, one time I had a flat in the back. I put the jack behind or in front of the back tire like you're supposed to. And I started jacking it up and I got it about halfway up and then the whole thing just fell. The jack hit, it was so rusted. The jack went right through <laughs> the fender and then right through the brake line. Uh, and brake fluid was leaking everywhere, and I thought, I don't want to, you know, I can't spend several hundred dollars on this car. That's what I spent new, or that's when I got it. I don't want to spend several hundred dollars to replace the brake line. So I unhooked the brake line from the, the rear brake line from the master cylinder and spent 50 cents. I fixed it for 50 cents. I just put a plug in that hole and drove around for two more years on two brakes, the front two brakes uh, is all I drove. Uh, you know, some people said it wasn't safe. I never had an accident. Um, but Lee A. Iacocca said, I got to get back to the basics. We've got to boil this down to what people really need. And I think that's Paul's message when he writes these letters to First and Second Thessalonians. So what he says is what we need. Um, and, and the message, really, you can read chapter 1, verse 3, and it kind of works as a thesis statement. We remember before our God and Father... Your, and he mentions three things, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, 
and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Faith, hope, and love. Did Paul ever talk about that? Yeah, 1 Corinthians 13, 13, these three things were faith, hope, and love. That's what's most important. So the first one, your work produced by faith. If you read 1 Thessalonians 1, 9, it says, they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Um, this turning is what's important. And it, so it's your, it's your work, you know, by your faith. And your faith is this turning. It's not just a belief. Your faith is not somebody just saying, I believe in God now. Or I believe in Jesus. Your faith is, if you look at this Greek word, it's the word that the New Testament uses for conversion. And, it, and in the dictionary, uh, the Greek dictionary, it says, an immediate and decisive change. A deliberate choice. I mean, you stop your life. I mean, uh, I, I think it was Jared that was talking about this in, in his, at the beginning of his communion talk. You know, we've left these other things, and we're moved. I mean, it's a changed life, an immediate, decisive change, a deliberate choice. First Thessalonians two thirteen and fourteen. We also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word. But as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea who are in Christ Jesus. When you study the Bible, when you study God's word with somebody, it's powerful. It's, it's living. That word, it's not human words. That word is what changes a person's heart, convicts their heart to makes them make that immediate decisive change and deliberate choice. And that's the kind of faith or conversion that Paul's talking about. The second thing he mentioned was your labor prompted by love. Love is a gift. And, and we first receive it from Jesus. And, and it's with this conversion that the Holy Spirit finishes that work in us and allows us to love in ways that Jesus has loved us. I'll talk about this more, but I will just say this. Before we go on, I think it's probably safe to say that if we are not filled with love for other people, then our conversion is incomplete. There's still more work that God needs to do in our hearts. Um, for the third one, the endur your endurance inspired by hope. Where is our hope placed? Think of non-Christians. Where is their hope placed? It's always placed in something that can't deliver. Something that fails. Or they just don't have any hope. For a Christian, where is our hope placed? I'm just going to read 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. We've just got a few slides. I'm just going to read it to you because I believe these verses talk about that hope in a, in a powerful way. Listen to God's word. Uh, powerful enough to transform and change us. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven 
with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. I think sometimes we misplace our hope and somehow we listen to the world and our hope becomes half in our faith and half in something else. And Paul, when he's writing this letter, he, he's, bringing it, he's boiling it down to the basics. The supreme truth that says, your hope is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and his, his promise that he's going to come back for you. That's so encouraging. It doesn't matter what you're going through in this life, that hope, resurrection of Jesus Christ, you'll be resurrected. He's coming back for us. We get to live with him forever. We need to narrow our focus um, and, and be encouraged with these things. In chapter 1, verses 6 through 10, I think Paul just expounds on that thesis verse in verse 3. And he just kind of reads it, so I'm going to read that too. Uh, here it is. Paul, uh, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Uh, there are truths there about faith, hope, love, our conversion, our transformation that we have got to hold on to. That message combined with the relationship of Paul and the Thessalonians is what's really important. So his relationship was like a parent training of the children. And he speaks about it in that way in 1 Thessalonians 2. Uh, really the whole chapter, but I'm just going to read 11 through 12 and 17 through 20. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. Encouraging, comforting, urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. In the next couple of verses, for what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. You kind of see this relationship, and sometimes we look at it and we go, oh, Paul's, you know, he's talking about them being their hope and joy. These new converts, these people who, by their faith and enduring persecution, but he's so proud of them, and he's saying the same things that I think God thinks of us, and, and yes, our, our allegiance is to God, to Jesus Christ, but our love for one another is so important, too. And this is as a father is to his children, encouraging all the things that he said about that. It's a transformation in us that's done by the power of God. The father who is devoted to his children 
will do anything in his power to help them. That's the picture. That's the relationship. Do we have that kind of relationship with one another? Are we willing to do anything for one another? And again, this kind of love is initiated by God, but it's finished in us through the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, want to make some applications. I, I, I'm just big on applications to the lesson. I just feel like if we have a lesson and we don't think about uh, how to apply it to our lives, then we're, we're missing the main point. So application number one, have we been converted? Have we been transformed? Uh, to say I believe but not have the actions, we're missing something. Are there still things that we need to turn away from? They turned away from idols. Are there idols or other things in our life that we still need to turn away from to where we fully focus on God? Has it been an immediate, decisive change, a deliberate choice? That's one application. Second, hope in the resurrection and return of Jesus. I mean, as a verb, do this, hope in the resurrection of Jesus and his return, uh, that provides encouragement and peace that you cannot get anywhere else. Nothing in this world provides that. Paul spent a lot of time in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 5, 2 Thessalonians 2. That is his mes- message about Jesus' resurrection and return. And the third one uh, that I'd like us to think about, what is the most vital characteristic of a church? It is. It is love. Um, so uh, here, I'll s- remind you of Asin again. When, when I, it was actually his birthday. I think I forgot to mention that. We had hamburgers with him in downtown Athens. Uh, Ath- food was good in Greece, uh, but we were eating a hamburger that day. Uh, and I asked him about his story. I asked him some things, and he talked about how, like I said, how he had to leave Pakistan and, and how he's still spending his life reaching out to Pakistani Muslims in Greece with the gospel. And he said that most Christians in Pakistan are not ready to share the gospel with the Muslims in Pakistan. And I asked him why. And his answer really struck me because it was direct. He said, because they don't love them enough. And I had to let that sink in, you know, because you know the history of, of Christians and Muslims in Pakistan. They, they, there's a lot of animosity. There's a lot of persecution. They don't get along. If you just kind of keep to yourself, you, you're, I think you're okay. But once you start sharing the gospel with Muslims, then you're going to get a lot of persecution. And yet he did that, and his life changed. And yet he has that kind of love for those people. And he said, many Christians in Pakistan do, do not. And I'm afraid that we have something in common with the Pakistani Christians, that maybe we don't love the lost enough. What keeps us from sharing with them? Are, are we afraid of what they're going to think or, you know, that they're going to, you know, cause some kind of trouble or, or I think if we love the lost enough, we're going to share good news. And when we don't, then maybe our conversion is not complete. 
Are we spreading that message of love everywhere? 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has become known everywhere. The Greek word for rang out is where we get our word echo. And it just talks about it just continues and it just spreads and just rings, you know, like ripples on a water. That, that echo, you hear it and you just continue to hear it. And it's the only time that this word is used in the New Testament. But how do we get that kind of love? And I'm not sure our conversion is complete if we're not influencing others to follow Jesus. Um, I think sometimes we, when we say we love someone, um, even a you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, even a spouse sometimes, maybe even a family member, we say we love them and what we really mean is we need them to love us. I think many, I'm getting ready to do a wedding this next weekend in Texas, and I think I've done a few, and, and most of the time I see these two people who just love each other, but it's not the kind of love that God is talking about. It's more that love, like I love them because they love me. I love them to love me. I feel great around them because they love me, but that's not the kind of love this is, and I think sometimes we get misguided or we we misunderstand love we have we have to receive it before we can give it to someone else we have to receive that sacrificial love from Jesus Christ who gave everything for us once we receive that from him then maybe the Holy Spirit finishes that work in us where we can give that to other people we're not going to get it most of the time from another human. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 12, Paul says this, May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. He speaks of that transformation. He speaks of that sanctification. And I think if we have this kind of love for each other, then little things and, e and even doctrinal things they don't cause division. When we don't have that kind of love for one another, then who knows what will happen. But if we have that kind of love, that sacrificial love, meaning I love you regardless of what you think of me or how you treat me, a sacrificial love, love one another in that way, then, then Satan is not able to get in there. That kind of love, I'll, I'll close it out by saying that kind of love is available today. First, from Jesus Christ, and then from us, from, from the rest of the congregation. The Holy Spirit will finish the work. I, I think that, I think we need to share that with one another. And, and so if you want prayers, if you feel like there's things that you still need to turn from in your life, if you uh, feel the need to be baptized, if you want to confess uh, that you're following after idols more than the Lord Jesus, then Scripture says when we confess that to one another and we show that kind of love for each other that Jesus shows for us, then we are uh, filled with this peace that he wants us to have. Uh, and and, and I, I will just say that as one of the shepherds, as one of the elders, I know this from all the other elders, they have that kind of love for you that Paul had for the Thessalonian church. 
Um, pride, joy, just, just whatever you need. And, and we just are glad that you're a part and we want to be in that kind of family. So think of that and, and come up, let us know if there's any need that you have, prayer or otherwise, as we do this.